Hello and welcome to the Conflict Skills Podcast. I'm your host, professional mediator Simon Good. This podcast is designed to help you develop the confidence and strategic tools for dealing with conflict, whether that conflict is connected to work, study, or personal relationships. In today's episode of the podcast, I'll be talking about a topic quite close to my heart, which is rumination. Intrusive, recurring thoughts are often something that comes about when we're experiencing conflict. It might be to do with situations in the past and ruminating or almost obsessing about things that you regret or how unreasonable the other person's been or even just a sense of trauma and feeling really overwhelmed and threatened in a situation where it might not have felt like it was easy to escape from. The other kind of situation that might cause rumination is things coming in the future. Maybe a difficult conversation or a meeting, it might be something connected to conflict like a performance management conversation or a meeting that you've organised to follow up from a complaint that was received by email or it might be something else like you know giving a presentation. So in the podcast today I'll be focusing on conflict but all of the different tools and techniques that I'll discuss could be used for any kind of different recurring situation that keeps coming back to mind in times and places where that's not ideal. Um, Grief and loss would be one example going through significant change. There'll be situations where you don't want these intrusive thoughts to keep coming back and so I'll talk through some options that you can use to manage that. Before we get into the topic though, if you'd like to learn more about me and my background, you can visit my website. It's simongood.com. The spelling of that is S-I-M-O-N-G-O-O-D-E.com. Maybe you're looking for some options for training with your team around conflict resolution skills, de-escalation, assertiveness, dealing with high-conflict personalities. So I've got options for the different kind of training that I do. And I'm also continuing to develop different resources like uh, pro forma templates that you can use to prepare for conversations, for example. So have a look at the website. And if you've got a question or any feedback around the podcast, maybe an idea for a future episode, or you're in the middle of a challenging situation and you'd like me to discuss maybe how to respond. Of course, I might do that in a way that's de-identified to prevent any personal information being disclosed, just in case the other person involved might happen to listen. Um, You can email me, it's podcast at simongood.com. So podcast at S-I-M-O-N-G-O-O-D-E.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, we always appreciate five-star reviews and a very sincere, heartfelt thank you from me. If you are willing to take a minute to go and give us a review on iTunes or Spotify, it's an incredible help for a new podcast like this one. All right, let's get into the topic. So as I've mentioned, rumination is something that I've really struggled with for most of my life. Even in school, I would remember situations from that day or the day before when I was trying to sleep. I found it difficult to concentrate in class or try to study, doing homework, that kind of thing, because I was always thinking about either what had happened in the past or what would happen in the future. And one of the things that's really helped me is to understand why this occurs. Uh, It's really about our brain trying to keep us safe. We've evolved to survive in a very hostile environment. That might have been things like threats, like someone going to attack us or hurt us. It might have been conflict within a tribe that could really cause significant challenges to survival. If people aren't working together, sharing food, looking after each other when they're sick, that kind of thing, then it would really significantly decrease the people's chance of surviving. 
being integrated and accepted within your tribe was something that was more or less essential. So if there's conflict that's happening, you get a sense that you've annoyed someone or upset them or hurt their feelings or whatever. You feel embarrassed or ashamed about something that you've done, you're regretting it. And I suppose subconsciously what's happening there is your brain is sending you cues that there might be potential threats here. If people are upset with you, that might challenge your acceptance within the tribe. So therefore, it's something that's important to pay attention to. We do a very similar thing for physical threats. Imagine that you're camping and you see animal tracks just outside your tent and the first thought that comes to mind is that it might be a wolf. Well, your brain will keep going back and wondering about wolves that night probably as you're trying to relax next to the fire. If you're attempting to go to sleep and you hear a little noise, you would be very quick to switch on and become alert because there's a tangible threat that might be there. So our brain tends to focus on threats in order to help keep us safe and protect us from them. The challenge is that when we're ruminating about things that have happened in the past, often what's going on is that we're experiencing regret or it's worry about things that are completely outside of our control and that tends not to be productive. Similarly, in the future, there'll be a time to prepare, a time to reflect and you know, get your head together or prepare the facts before you go into a difficult conversation. But at a time when you're trying to sleep, the last thing that you want is to be remembering or thinking about a coming stressful experience. Of course, it's, there's factors like it's distracting, you know, it might cause me to ramp up and I can have trouble sleeping. The thing that uh, often happens when we're ruminating is that we have a physiological response. What I mean by that is that this isn't just a mental activity. There's actually effects on our body. If we remember a situation where we felt overwhelmed and uncomfortable, our heart rate increases, our blood pressure increases. So it's not just the fact that we're distracted. There is a physical ramping up of adrenaline, uh, cortisol, the stress hormone that our brain creates. And these things can stay in our system for a long time. Cortisol actually stays in our system for up to 18 hours. So if you're remembering a really difficult situation that you had today and you're trying to go to sleep, that's going to mean that throughout most of the evening, your body will be working towards getting back to homeostasis, lowering blood pressure, lowering your heart rate, that kind of thing, which means that you might not be as actively resting and digesting. So you wake up feeling like you haven't slept well. There's a real flow and effect to rumination. And of course, if you haven't slept well, you're probably more likely to ruminate and feel distracted and beat yourself up about small mistakes that you make the next day. And then you've got a whole lot of extra ammunition to show yourself the next night when you're trying to get back to sleep again. It's, it's a real vicious cycle. So we know that the reason that we ruminate is, at least in part, for survival. It's to deal with threats. So we can think about, well, what does our brain need then to feel more safe? When I use that word safe, I'm not necessarily just talking about physical safety. I'm also talking about emotional pain or emotional safety, as well as certainty versus uncertainty. So if we know that we're going to the dentist tomorrow and it's going to be a painful procedure, it's pretty logical and rational that we would be worried about that. It's something that's coming. What's not logical is the purpose of this worry. There's actually nothing that I can do about this. It's just my brain identifying a potential threat that's coming. So that would be a situation where this rumination is not productive. You might also experience a very similar pattern of rumination, though, for 
um, something that's coming tomorrow, like you have to give a presentation in front of your peers, the chances of that being embarrassing, something going wrong, like imagine that you're walking up to begin and you drop your notes in front of everyone or you look out and a sea of faces and everybody seems to be a bit confused by what you're saying and you become flustered, etc. When we experience embarrassment or at a higher level, a form of social rejection, it triggers the same section of our brain that's activated for physical pain. We experience things like not being invited to a social thing or someone rolling their eyes at a comment that we make, not laughing at a joke, even just crossing their arms in front of us when we're trying to connect and be friendly. We experience that kind of social rejection in a very similar way to the way that we experience physical pain. If that person came up and kicked us in the leg or something like that, it would be similar to them coming up and saying, you know, your, your fly in your pants was undone during the whole of the presentation or something like that. So when I talk about threat, there's the physical pain side. There's also emotional pain, like embarrassment, grief, loss, etc., uh, but also social rejection. And then the third area is uncertainty. Uncertainty has been something that is very dangerous throughout most of human history. If you don't know if there's going to be water in the river that you're walking to, then it's going to make that activity using the energy and time to get there a real roll of the dice. And if it doesn't pay off, if there's not water there, in some situations it might mean that you don't make it. So we're programmed to really crave certainty, particularly when we're entering into that fight or flight mode. Uncertainty is something that really sets people off. When I do training and responding to complaints, one of the things I talk about is just the power of building in certainty, saying to somebody, thanks very much for letting me know what you're upset about. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. That's not going to be very effective at calming them down or giving them any sense of being reassured. But if I say to them, look, thanks for letting me know. I can fully appreciate where you're coming from. What I, de- what I need to do now is go back to the manufacturer of that unit, for example, that we've sold you. I'll talk to them about the warranty claim process and see if we can fast track things along. And then I can give you a call. It would be tomorrow at the latest, the next day, like a Thursday morning. Um, It looks like I should be able to give you a call around 4pm tomorrow afternoon though. How does that time work for you if I give you a call then and just walk you through the process of making this warranty claim and timeframes and that kind of thing, just so that you know what to expect. So I'm building in all of that uncertainty around the steps that I'll take, timeframes, etc., which really does help to offer the other person a sense of this threat is contained, it's under control, we can get through this. So one of the things that can really help in terms of rumination is being aware that uncertainty is one of the things that can really set us off. So if it's a situation coming in the next day and you've got a meeting scheduled with someone and you expect it's going to be pretty uncomfortable, building uncertainty around that, like going into the room and checking out the layout of where the chairs are and planning where you'll sit, having an agenda pre-written out, maybe even emailing it to them ahead of time, asking them if there's any other questions that they want to add, any other additional topics on their end, that would really help to reduce that sense of uncertainty for us and therefore reduce the prevalence of that rumination. So it comes about as a response to not feeling safe. What we're wanting to do is to remove or avoid the focus being on physical pain, emotional pain, rejection and uncertainty that's coming. So I'll talk about some options then around how we can manage all of that 
Um, I've actually come up with a reasonably long list. If you're listening at your desk or somewhere, you've got a pen and paper in front of you, you might like to take notes as I go through the options. Or if you'd like, you can check out my website. I'll put a sort of like a cheat sheet, um, one page resource for people who struggle with rumination as yeah, just a bit of a prompt and reminder for you in situations where that's becoming more of a problem. So let's think then about the first option, which is removing the prompts for rumination. If it's a work-related stress that's causing you to replay conversations or overly obsess about something that's coming, you don't want to remind your brain about that. As we talked about the example of the animal paw prints, the wolf paw prints outside your tent, if you set up and eat lunch right next to the paw prints, it's likely that your brain will constantly be reminded about that and you'll be constantly thinking about wolves and whether or not that was a snapping of a twig or something that you just heard. If you wake up in the morning and the first thing that you do is reach over and grab your phone and if you've got your work emails on your phone and you see that little unread, you know, 10 unread emails or two unread emails or whatever, that's going to trigger the release of cortisol, that stress hormone. That's going to prompt your brain to look for potential threats here. And of course, it would see those unread emails as probably coming from that person that you're in conflict with, even though realistically it could be very good news or something that's completely non-threatening. Our brain tends to be very pessimistic and goes to the worst case scenario because it's had to. If we don't know if this food is poisonous, it's probably better not to eat it, right? <laughs> so if we don't know something, if there's uncertainty there, it tends to be the thing that triggers the fight or flight response and then afterwards rumination about the same thing. So don't remind yourself about the thing that's causing you stress. Maybe don't check your phone or change your settings so that you don't see how many unread emails are sitting in your inbox when you look at your screen to check the time or put snooze on your alarm or whatever else it might be. Um, maybe think about scheduling a time to communicate with them so that you're not constantly opening your email inbox and seeing their name again and again. If you've got a particular meeting coming up, you've got your notes on your desk in front of you, it might be worth having a look through, preparing, memorizing what you need to, making sure that you've got your head around everything, but then putting it away, putting it in a folder or putting it in a drawer, because if it's sitting on your desk, it will be constantly reminding you. There might be environmental factors that you can change, like, um, I don't know, like talking to your partner about not reminding you about that horrible family event that you had on the weekend, sitting separately a little bit more, spending some more time by yourself, go for a walk with your dog by yourself instead of with someone who's connected to the same stress. If you're walking at lunch at work and the, you go for a walk with someone else who's also in conflict with someone you're in conflict with, they're probably going to want to vent. And that might not be something that's helpful for you because then when you get back to the office, you've just had this huge 30-minute experience of talking about how horrible the other person's being. Well, it shouldn't be surprising then if that's what your mind tends to focus on immediately after. So that's the first idea is taking away the prompts for rumination, a very simple one. The second idea that we can use is to not block thoughts, but to refocus. It's very difficult to block our thoughts unless it's a technique that you've practiced. Often thoughts just come. I tend to think it's almost like we're sitting on the edge of a river and our thoughts just float down the stream sometimes if it's something that we're feeling threatened about. Those thoughts, unfortunately, might come pretty pretty constantly or they get stuck on some weeds or something like that right in front of us, so we have to look at them for a while. 
It's difficult to remove that. We can't stop our brain from remembering something that's threatening to us. We've literally been programmed from thousands and thousands of years of evolution to focus on things that might be a threat. So one technique that often works is just to refocus, to notice the fact that that thought come back. Like I might say something like, oh, of course, I'm thinking about that conversation tomorrow. There's a lot at stake there and I don't know how it's going to go. So that's why my brain is focusing on it. Now, what I'm going to do is bring my attention back to the present. So I want to be in the here and now, which stops me from focusing too much about the past and the future. So one option that we could use is just focusing on our senses, kind of like mindfulness. What can I see? What can I hear? What can I touch? Set a timer and try and do it for two minutes. If that's something that you think that you might be able to manage, it's likely that your mind will wander a few times. But each time it does, just bring it back to the present. This is like a muscle that we can develop strength through practice. So refocusing, 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 noticing when your mind is wandering is something that is incredibly powerful. In itself, it helps us to concentrate, but it certainly helps to reduce the negative stress associated with rumination and intrusive thoughts. Um, the next idea is something that might sound a little bit wacky, but my goodness, it works well. It's using cold, having a cold shower or putting ice packs on the sides of your neck. I was watching actually a guitar teacher that I watch on YouTube quite a lot talking about some changes that he's made to his life at the beginning of the year and they've really helped him. And for whatever reason, it resonated with me. He's not my favorite guitar teacher, but I really liked the way he talked about things like meditation. And one of the ideas was having a cold shower. So since I've learned that, I have a normal hot shower like I normally would each day. And then at the end, the last 30 seconds or minute or so, I put it onto just cold and just try and tolerate it at the same time as breathing deeply and trying to calm myself down. When we go through this, it's almost like a shock that our body goes into. And then we practice calming ourselves down by breathing. It's again, it's like it develops this muscle for getting through stressful situations and not overreacting or feeling overwhelmed. But it also almost resets our system putting an ice pack on the left and right side of your neck can also be really helpful. What we're trying to do is activate what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the system within our body that calms us down after threat. It brings us back out of fight or flight mode and into rest and digest mode. So using cold can be an incredibly powerful way of just doing that in an incredibly short amount of time, like it might be one or two minutes. The only challenge is that it's uncomfortable in the moment, so you have to decide if it's worth tolerating two minutes of cold to make sure that you don't sit there at night thinking about this person for six hours and getting two hours sleep. For me, I certainly know which one I would choose if the rational bit of my brain was deciding, but it's surprisingly hard sometimes to make the decision to get up and have a cold shower. I mean, you've already had a shower, you've brushed your teeth, you're ready for bed. There'll be endless excuses why not to do it. It's about making the decision because you know that it will be helpful for you. And until then, it's worth experimenting with and giving a try. So that's number three, using cold. The fourth technique that we can use is exercise. Going for a walk, especially something like lifting weights or sprinting, doing something that increases your heart rate would be very helpful. It releases endorphins, which are it's endogenous morphine. That's what endorphins are. Endogenous means created in its own system. So it's morphine that our body creates sort of inherently or, or within the system. What better medicine almost would be helpful when you're ruminating and feeling stress is a chemical that helps to calm you down. Well, that's what endorphins are. 
The other kind of exercise that tends to work when you're ruminating is high interval training. So sprinting for 30 seconds or walking faster on the treadmill than you normally would and then slowing down for 30 seconds, doing a set of weights and then giving yourself a minute for your heart rate to come back down again. The reason why high interval training works so well is that, again, we're putting ourselves in that very stressful state and then practicing calming ourselves back down again. Yoga is very similar. Some of the poses you might do can be quite uncomfortable. You're trying to maintain balance, you're focusing on your breath, etc. At the same time as being in something that's stressful and trying to manage it and hold it all together for whatever reason, even after 20 minutes of yoga, I often find that the intrusive thoughts have more or less just gone away. Or if they're still there, I don't take them as seriously. I don't have the same level of emotional intensity, I guess, as I normally would. So exercise is something that I'd recommend literally for everyone, no matter how old you are or what physical state you're in. And unless you're literally a quadriplegic, finding some options to exercise might be very helpful for you. My guess is that it would be. The fifth idea that we could use is meditation. <laughs> it strengthens our ability to do thought like blocking as well as refocusing. Um, I'm 41 years old and I've lived most of my life very stressed. <laughs> Finally just decided to start meditating around four months ago and it's just made an incredible difference to me. I began with just 10 minutes in the morning. I just set a timer and try and sit quietly. And what I've noticed is that there's different techniques that work for me better than others. I've learned more about it. I've increased that amount of time, but one of the real benefits is that it has reduced the amount of rumination and negative thoughts that I'm having. So if you're trying to meditate, something that will probably happen is that that memory keeps coming back or that thought about something that's coming keeps coming back. Um, so what I often do, and, and one approach that can work, is to almost look at that thought or that memory as if you were a young child in that situation. Like if you're dealing with your, I have a six-year-old, if, if you're a parent, or even if you've had hung around kids, they were lost and alone and stressed and overwhelmed and upset, you wouldn't probably be harsh and say you're being an idiot for worrying about this. You would go and comfort them. <laughs> you wouldn't be angry at the six-year-old for bumbling their words in the presentation where the whole of the you know, management team were sitting in the room watching. Of course they were uncomfortable. And so it's completely normal that they didn't perform at their absolute best. And yet when it's our adult self in that same stressful situation, we tend to just be so critical we beat ourselves up and treat ourselves so harshly. So one thing that can help is like, it's kind of like approach yourself with compassion, like you would to a child, just empathize. There were contextual factors that contributed to that. And what are you thinking in that moment? And what were you feeling in that moment? What was going in, on in your body? What's going on in your body now? When you're trying to meditate and those intrusive thoughts come back, one thing that can help is just notice what effect does that have on you physically? Can you feel your hands clenching or is there a tightness in your legs or your tongue is reached up to the roof of your mouth or your neck feels really tight or you've almost experienced locomotion like you've stood up to go and get a drink before you've even realized actually this is 10 minutes I'm meant to be sitting down meditating. Um, just noticing what's going on in your body. That in itself tends to again reduce the emotional intensity that comes along with the different thoughts. The other technique that you might use, particularly if it's a situation that's coming in the future, is to imagine yourself being in that, you know, situation that you're worried about, but being calm and confident. If the same things happened, but you were calm and confident, what difference would it make? 
how much would it affect you? Is it the same amount or is it possible that it would affect you less if the other person was losing their cool and yelling at you and standing over the top at you and swearing at you, but you were calm and confident? Would it have less impact on you? What difference would that make? It's a really helpful mental exercise. And when we tend to position ourselves that way, it triggers a different sets of emotions, as in feelings, but also physiologically, we tend to respond quite differently when we engage in this kind of uh, mental exercise, I suppose you might call it. The sixth idea that we can use is gratefulness. Writing down five things that you're grateful for. It might be something that's there that's good at the moment. It might even be something that's bad, but it's not quite as bad as it used to be. You know, I don't have to deal with my ex-partner as frequently as I did when we were living together, that kind of thing. At least the abusive messages from my boss have reduced. Um, at least I've flagged this issue with HR and I'm grateful that we do have a complaints mechanism to resolve this kind of thing. Your brain will naturally tend to try to focus on the negative. So what we're doing when we engage in gratitude is really almost driving things, taking control of the driver's seat and focusing on the more positive stuff. When we do this, there's a lot of research that shows that it reduces stress, anxiety and depression. And it's also very helpful when you're experiencing intrusive thoughts. So gratitude is, is an idea that I'd really recommend and it's more effective if you write it down, which is kind of connected to number seven, which is debriefing or journaling. We just need sometimes to externalize our thoughts and feelings. So if something's happened, particularly if it's in the past, like for me, if I've just done a training workshop and I'm driving home, I might constantly remember, it's usually not all of the feedback that said 10 out of 10, thanks so much, Simon, that was a great workshop. I almost always ruminate and obsess about the single, you know, 8 out of 10 or 7 out of 10 kind of feedback score where someone said, I would have liked more time for role plays. And I constantly think about, well, I suggested that and the HR manager that organized it said that they didn't want to do more or whatever. It's almost like I get in a debate or an argument that's literally not happening. Like this is something that's literally in the past. I'm almost never going to see these participants again after I've done these kind of training workshops, unless they bring me back to do a follow-up session or something. Um, so for me, this is just a very unproductive way of spending my time and mental energy, but my brain keeps wanting to go back to it. And one of the tools that I use is sometimes, if, if especially if it's been tricky, like there's been difficult people in the workshop or it's been a new topic area that I'm not as familiar with or something like that, I just write. I get a notebook and I write. I just say, this is what happened. This is what I was thinking at the time. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking now. This is what I'm feeling now. And then I might even ask myself questions like, what do I need to do now? For them, like, do I need to write to the HR manager and flag it? Just going through this, again, it's like a mental exercise of checking off all of the boxes to make sure that we haven't missed something. But when we write it down, we're externalizing that, which means that we tend to um, almost have an experience of uh, increasing our awareness. When we externalize something, we can see it on the page, which often means that it aids in critical reflection. Uh, and as we engage in reflective practice, externalizing is one of the things that really helps us make sense of situations to avoid carrying an overly high sense of responsibility or holding on to unrealistic expectations. When we put it down on paper, that really helps us to reality check, for example, and to make sure that we're not being overly critical of ourselves. Whereas if we just think about a situation, but 
actually we're doing often is we're remembering the feeling that we had in a situation. So debriefing, writing it down is another really effective tool that we can use. The next idea is to just name the feeling. What are you feeling? And then the next question you should ask is what else are you feeling? In psychological terms, this is called emotional granularization. When we're experiencing something, like maybe we're angry, it's easy to think, I am angry. That's sort of the label that you put yourself in, and certainly in some situations, that's all that it feels like we're feeling. But the truth is that you'll be feeling a number of different emotions in any one moment. You might be angry about this and proud of the way that you stood up to them. You might be disappointed at the fact that your son's not getting himself ready for school. You might be also worried about what if you're late and you miss the bus. You might be flustered about the fact that it feels like things are slipping outside of your control at a time when deadlines are tight and you really do need to get in the car and out the door right now. So I'm angry at my son that I need to remind him to put his socks on seven times. But if I pause and ask myself, what else am I feeling in this moment? I'm also feeling disappointed. I'm probably feeling a bit overwhelmed. I'm probably feeling a bit frustrated about the fact that I need to keep telling him again and again. If I go deeper, there's probably also a sense of guilt or responsibility, like it's my job to help him develop um, autonomy and discipline and self-control, self-reliance, whatever, and he's not demonstrating that. Does that mean I haven't done as good a job as I think I have as a a parent? Um, Maybe I'm feeling a bit resentful about the fact that my wife's left me to do all of the school trips, you know, on this particular day because she's busy at work. If I pause and really pull apart, well, what are all of the other different emotions that I'm feeling here? What tends to happen is that they don't affect us as much. If we can be aware of our feelings, it's almost like we name it to tame it. (laughs) Um, It helps it to go away. We don't stop it. It's still going to come up, but it reduces the chance that we'll take some kind of a knee-jerk reaction and probably, if I'm speaking honestly, overreact, And particularly in situations where I just do let my emotions get the best of me. I say I'm frustrated, that's it, you're being ridiculous. Um, And then I'm almost feeling vindicated and yelling at my son or something and of course, if I pause and think, well, gosh, I don't want to teach my son that I'm that it's okay to yell at people just because they don't do what we want. Um, I would have much preferred to manage that situation just rationally and calmly, calmly and confidently probably, and emotional granularization, asking yourself, what are you feeling? What else are you feeling? Is a really helpful way of doing that. Talked earlier about paying attention to your body, but that is also something that really helps when we're dealing with negative feelings. When we experience emotion, there is also almost always a physiological component that comes along with it. It might be needing to smile or some facial expression change, like your forehead brows because you're thinking about someone that you disagree with. What's usually not happening is that you're raising your eyebrows, thinking curiously, looking happy. Your body might be clenched up and hunched over, you might be tapping your pen, you might be gesticulating in the car, talking to yourself even when you've got your kids behind you watching you from their car seats in the back seat. There's often a physiological component that comes along with it and we should notice that and then try and relax that, those bits of our body. If I notice when I'm remembering and I'm feeling angry, um, my forehead's probably clenched up and feeling really tight in my shoulders. So a technique that I can use is to notice it and then just to relax those bits of my body. Again, it tends to reduce the intensity, I guess, that we experience those feelings with. 
if you're moving, if you're pacing back and forth, <laughs> gesturing, talking out loud, it's probably worth noticing that and then just stopping. It's again, trying to refocus. We, we notice that we don't want to add to the problem by making ourselves feel guilty, but we don't want to continue because when we're reliving it, we're experiencing stress like we did in the moment. So that's not going to be something that's helpful. So the next idea that we could use is to understand why, to remember that it's because our brain is experiencing threat. That's why we're ruminating. What we don't want to do, as I've just mentioned, is add guilt. If you add stress to a situation by telling yourself something like, oh, I'm such an idiot. Why do I keep obsessing about this? It's their fault. They've been unreasonable. All I'm doing is explaining to them what the consequences are of their own behavior. It's like we tend to put these labels on ourselves, like I'm overreacting or I'm being ridiculous or um, I'm such an idiot for thinking about this again and again. Of course, putting that judgment on ourselves, that self-criticism, is just going to make us feel more stressed. So if you notice that rumination's happening, try to find a neutral label for it. To say something like, this is my brain remembering a stressful situation. The reason it keeps reminding me of it is because that was a really uncomfortable spot to be. I didn't know that person and how they were going to react. And when they were standing over the top of me, that was a pretty scary kind of experience. Even rationally, you might say, I'm bigger than them. What, what was I even worried about? But your brain in the moment wasn't rationally evaluating the threat. Your brain in the moment was taking the most cautious path possible, which tended to ramp up your fight or flight response, even though rationally you knew that you were going to be okay and you could get through it. So labeling the situation in that more neutral way and particularly labeling the fact that these thoughts keep coming back, just saying, oh, okay, it's my, my brain's survival mechanism kicking in. Um, I'm going to need to do something now to calm myself down again. That's going to be more effective than saying, God, I'm such an idiot. Why can't I just get to sleep? This is ridiculous. You're not the only one going through this, by the way. Rumination and intrusive thoughts is a very common experience, particularly when I'm doing mediations. I'm meeting people in the middle of pretty intense conflict most of the time. They almost always are finding themselves obsessing or overly thinking about conversations, situations, emails that have come in, etc., and probably over-obsessing and um, overly thinking, overthinking about situations that are coming up in the future as well, not the least of which the mediation itself. The final idea that, that I would add, I mean, there's different options. You could get sleep, do some brief debriefing, talking to a friend, patting animals can help release serotonin, so it helps us to feel better. But the last idea that I wanted to share was to consider options for counselling. I know a lot of people put a label on counselling. They say, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't want to get diagnosed or they worry that they might be medicated for something that's actually a contextual factor. Um, they might feel embarrassed or ashamed. It's uncomfortable going to talk to a counsellor. I've done it myself a few different times in my life. And one of the hurdles for me to overcome was just the um, awkwardness of the whole process even talking to the front desk staff and that kind of thing, I just always find those kind of interactions very uncomfortable, very self-conscious, and um, yeah, I just would prefer not to go through it <laughs> if, if possible. At the same time, if I'm in a situation where there's a very high level of stress, particularly when I have a pretty high sense of responsibility, there's a lot at stake, but I've got a low level of autonomy, I've got a low level of ability to fix the problem, to change the situation, to influence things, that puts me more at risk of burnout. And these recurring intrusive thoughts might be one of the warning signs that you could be experiencing burnout. 
the way that that often happens is that it tends to creep up on people. So if you've noticed that these ruminating thoughts have been coming for a period of time, maybe a few weeks now, it might be worth thinking about just a few counselling sessions. It often doesn't take that long to gain some additional strategies and tools, but also to have a chance to talk with someone that's completely outside of the situation. It's very different going to talk to a professional counsellor versus our partner or our parents or our friends or whatever, who often have a very vested interest and they often don't listen very objectively and sometimes they don't listen very well. Just talking to a counsellor and clearing, I guess, the memory of the trauma that might be built up for you is something that can be very helpful for a lot of people. So that's the last, I guess, option that you might consider is if none of the other ideas have worked and the problem remains, maybe it's worth thinking about going and talking to a professional and getting some support to manage the situation at the moment. It doesn't mean that your brain is wired wrong. It doesn't mean that you'll have mental health issues for the rest of your life. But this could be a situation where you could benefit from some support. So I hope that's been helpful for you. I'd love to hear a bit of feedback. Again, if you'd like to email me, you can email podcast at simongood.com. If you're willing to give a review, particularly for this episode, it took a bit of time to put it together. I would be incredibly grateful if you're willing to do that. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening and hopefully we'll touch base and connect again in a future episode of the Conflict Skills Podcast. Bye for now.